is up, wrestling fans, your host for the most, George Wakai. I'm in the building. I'm here with my cohort in crime, the man who has a face for radio, Steve Yano Mitchell. Hey, what's up, everybody? What's up? Is it this a big one, man? Mm-hmm. It's the first week of August, and it's episode number 50. It's number 50. Congratulations. The big 5-0. That was a, that was a handshake that none of you couldn't see. No, <laughs> it, was, it was a radio handshake. Congratulations. Episode 50. Let's do a radio high five. I bet. There it is. Yeah, radio high five. So episode 50, and this is a big one because this is, as we always do every month, we do an in-depth profile mm-hmm. on a superstar of our choosing. Today was my spin at the wheel, and I chose, honorably, probably one of my all-time favorites, top five for sure, in no particular order, but Mr. Owen James Hart. What an, what an unbelievable episode we're going to have today. This is uh, this is one I've been gearing up for a while to, to hear the story. There's going to be a, some stuff in here that I don't even... I, I There's been not enough backstory of Owen Hart to, to really know all of everything from, from the very beginning of what went down with him in his career. So this is going to be a really interesting, interesting uh, subject matter to talk about. And of course, uh, with uh, everything that we'll be talking about later on. And much, much as to what you did with uh, the Chris Benoit profile... Uh, you really focused in on the research, making sure the story was told correctly, and I myself took my cue from you and really, really put a lot of effort into making sure that every aspect of this story, from his younger days to his uh, uh, mid-card success within WWE to the unfortunate passing of his death on May 23rd, 1999. Yes. So, uh I guess let's get right into it. Let's hop right into it. Let's go from the beginning. Let's go from the beginning. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Owen James Hart was born May 7th, 1965. Was a Canadian. It says Canadian slash American professional wrestler, but he's a Canadian. Born and bred through and through. Yes, he did have a success in America, but he had a success almost everywhere else. Everywhere he went, he was recognized for two things. His amazing charisma and skill in the ring. And his just sweetheart and selflessness approach behind the scenes. Everybody that knew him never had an unkind word to say. And in this business, we all know that is few and far between. Some people love you. Well, some people love you. Some people hate you. Sometimes you walk that line. But everybody who knew him and met him and had a close relationship with him or even just an acquaintance, a fan, had nothing nice to say about the man that is own heart. Nothing but nice to say about him. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> nothing but nice to say about him. And that's the truth. Uh, he was a member of the Hart Wrestling family, uh, born in Calgary, Alberta. He worked several professional and amateur promotions, uh, including Stampede Wrestling, his father's run and operated promotion, New Japan Pro Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling for a brief stint, believe it or not, and uh, WWF slash WWE, where he wrestled under his own persona and also Blue Blazer. Blue Blazer was a character retired while he was in uh, New Japan, and then WD kind of revived it. We'll get into that a little bit later. Right on. Um, so, obviously, from Calgary, Alberta, youngest of 12 children uh, and uh, of wrestling promoters Stu and Helen Hart. Uh, he was also a one-time USWA Unified World Heavyweight Champion, a two-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, a one-time European Champion, a four-time WWF Tag Team Champion, as well as he was the 1994 King of the Ring winner. He headlined multiple pay-per-views, and he was widely regarded as literally the best in-ring performer for WWF, hands down. Um, a lot of his accolades, I'll run through some more of his accolades. Um, Slammy Awards, he also had uh, the Biggest Rat, Squared Circle Shocker, and Best Bowtie. He won Biggest Rat in 94, 
squared, uh, squared circle shocker in 96, and best bow tie in 97. Uh, his two uh, Intercontinental Championship runs were, uh, he won the Intercontinental Championship Tournament in 1997, and he held the Intercontinental Championship in 1995, and he was also the WWF Tag Team Champion Tournament winner with his partner and brother-in-law, the British Bulldog. Uh, he's also been honored with a five-star match, which was uh, him versus his brother, 1994 SummerSlam Steel Cage match, classic. If you have not gone to watch it, watch it. That, that was during that two-year feud he had with Brett, which hands down was the best feud in wrestling in the 90s. Yeah. It, for me, it was. I mean, it could differ. You can go between that and Benoit and Shane Douglas. Or not Douglas, sorry. Was it Douglas? With, uh, with, with Chris Where Benoit. he ended up actually sleeping with the dude's wife. Oh, that was uh, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan yeah. and, and, and Benoit were right there. But Owen and Brett was so honest and so raw and sold so well that you can't not overlook that as one of the best feuds of the 90s. Yeah, and my favorite was Brett uh, making a, an honest depiction of that match and actually really describing that story from, from front to back of that particular match. And uh, there was a moment in that match where, uh, if you haven't seen it, then like you're really going to be in for a treat to, to really watch this match, but particularly the story unfold. It was when they had a moment where they did a backdrop um, or where they, where they did a, a suplex off the top of the cage, Owen was on top, and Brett was on the top rope. And uh, the, it was the description of Brett talking about when he flipped Owen back, and he was trying to basically really, really take care of Owen when he was falling, because it was his brother, and he really wanted to make sure that when he fell, that I was taking care of Owen as best I could, because I love Owen so much, and I wanted to make sure that nothing bad happened to him in, in, any, of the, in any instance that they ever had together. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And another couple quick accolades before we get into the story. Best Flyer in Wrestling, 1987-1988. And Few of the Year, 1997, with his brother Brett, Jim the Animal Nineheart, Davey Boy Smith, and Brian Pillman versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yes. That, that was what... And also, another honorable note, I mentioned the Blue Blazer persona was retired and then brought back by WWE. That was uh, during a UWA live event. It was Al Kinek and the Blue Blazer, mask versus mask. And the loser had to give up the mask, and ultimately Owen Hart lost that match. And the Blue Blazer uh, mask became unveiled, and uh, that's when the Blazer retired the first time around. Second time was, unfortunately, uh, May 23rd, 1999. So it wasn't even a a long run then. It was only, like, for that very, that was only for that one match then, is what you're telling me. No, no, in the UWA, in the UWA, there was an actual storyline in the, it was 90 to 91, they actually had a feud, oh, okay. and it culminated with a mask versus mask match. Okay, which the Blue Blazer lost. Okay, so Therefore, it was actually a, a, a tiny little run, right on. It was it was, awesome. it, was a, it was an awesome run. Uh, I tried to find it to go back and, and look at it, but I couldn't. So I had to do all my research via only written word. Could not find any videos or stuff because obviously ninety one videos and stuff were scarce. Nobody, yeah. there wasn't really anything to go back to. Right, and, and it was a live show. It wasn't a, a pay per view. Or a recorded event, so therefore there would be no footage of the event. If I would have found it in this day and age, and I couldn't, that means there is no footage. Yep. So let's talk about his early life. Uh, like I said, born May 7, 1965. Uh, youngest of 12 children, his 11 siblings include Smith, Bruce, Keith, Wayne, Dean, Ellie, Georgia, Brett, Allison, Ross, and Diana. That is a mouthful. Yeah. That is a mouthful. That's like cheaper by the dozen, the Canadian version. Okay? Right? Crazy. 
Whenever uh, people think of the Samoans, like, seriously. <laughs> Don't forget about the Hart Dynasty. There's a bloodline there, too. <laughs> the Hart Dynasty, they, they, take a, they take a front seat compared to how elongated this, this is whatever people think of the Samoan Dynasty. But <laughs> good, good on Stu and Helen, man. <laughs> yeah. Good on you two. I gotta tell you, man. Having 12 kids. I mean, I have two kids. And 12 kids, I couldn't even imagine. But good on Stu and Helen. Every time there's an election, they gotta get going. <laughs> <laughs> Well played, well played. So let's talk about his early uh, stages of his career. Uh, I want to go 83 to 88 here. So um, he gains his first wrestling experience in the amateur wrestling division of high school, through which he met his wife, Martha. We'll get into her a little bit later on in the broadcast. Uh, wrestling, surprisingly enough, though, Steve, was not his first choice. As Martha had explained in her book, Broken Hearts, uh, Owen tried numerous times to find profitable living outside wrestling, but just couldn't do it. He's even quoted as saying in the WWE home video, Owen Hart of Gold, that during his time at university, he wrestled incognito under the mask as the original British Bulldog. Then after he graduated from university, he wrestled as Bronco, Owen Hart at Royal Albert Hall in London, England. And Hart has, those attempts were just unsuccessful. He really couldn't get his feet wet at anything else, but, you know, the Canadian side of stuff. That's kind of where he shined his best. He had great work in uh, both those um, venues, but really, Stampede Wrestling was the height of Canadian wrestling at the time. And, I mean, your father ran the promotion, so you're obviously going to get favored booking over anybody else. But he tried to kind of carve his own path outside of wrestling, then tried to carve his own path inside wrestling, but a different way. Ultimately, ended up going back to Stampede, which is where he had very early success and how the WWE noticed him. Because Stampede was one of the, at the time, divisional, um, divisional, I guess you'd say, like, a, like an NXT of Canada at the time where they were developing the talent that would come up. And mm-hmm. the talent that came out of Stampede was just next level. And all, most of the legends that we know today got their start or put their place on the map in Stampede. Basically. So uh, say what you want to say about the McMahon family, but when it comes to Canada, where we're from, we rock hard all day, every day. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he was trained by his father in the Harp Dungeon, which we all know so much about. We know the basement and the Hart House was the dungeon, screams, yelling, vomiting, everything went on down there because Stu Hart was no holds barred. You want to learn wrestling? I am going to show you wrestling. And that's what he was. was born and bred for that. And ironically enough, no one else came out from another camp that really, they all kind of got stretched and they all got the same way that was that ultimate form of training. It wasn't nearly as bad as the way people were getting stretched in Stu Hart's basement. But at the same time though, those were the only guys I noticed that were really coming in that actually really had a strong stranglehold of wrestling. Yeah. When they would come out of that dungeon and then they would go into uh, when they would go into sports entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the dungeon was the stomping grounds. It was the premier wrestling school uh, in Canada. And I want to say in the early stages of North America, I mean, every wrestler had their own kind of school. Once they kind of hung up their boots, they all had their own school. But... The dungeon is one we always hear about and we go back to and we know that Stu Hart was no holds barred. You want to learn wrestling? You're going to learn it here. Yep. So um, he eventually started working for Stampede with his father's promotion. And he also works, worked in England for a little bit for Mac, Max Crabtree's joint promotions in matches that got broadcast on ITW's World of Sport. That was ESPN before ESPN was ESPN. He remained with Stampede for the next couple of years, honing his skills. During 1986, he teamed with Ben Basarab and won the Stampede Pro Wrestling International Tag Team Championship. The success of the team and Hart's in-ring skills earned him 
Pro Wrestling Illustrated's 1987 Rookie of the Year. Uh, after that, he and Brasad lost the tag team titles, and he briefly feuded with Johnny Smith and Dynamite Kid, or Dynamite Kid, sorry. So basically what I'm doing here, guys, is I'm, it's not going to be the typical profile. I'm actually going to go in-depth in a couple of the storylines, because some of these storylines were so great, and I wish that the writers nowadays would go back and see the most simplest storylines work the best, not these over-the-top crap. So if you're a WWE writer, and you're turning in, and you're tuning in right now, please, have a pen. Take some notes. Learn from history here. Uh, he had a first stint in WWF from 88 to 89. Uh, his success in Japan and Stampede and the working relationship that Stampede had with WWF, it led him to signing with the company in the summer of 1988. Instead of promoting Owen as Brett's younger brother, WWF decided to create a masked superhero type gimmick, which he played to his high flying style. He broke into WWF as the Blue Blazer, initially the Blue Angel. Uh, his early appearances see him defeat the likes of Terry Gibbs, Steve Lombardi. Everybody defeated Lombardi, though. And Barry Horowitz. Oh, Mr. Barry Mr. Clap my back. The Blue Blazer made his only one-time pay-per-view debut at Survivor Series in 88, teaming with the Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Beefcake, Jim Brunzel, and Steve Houston against the Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, Outlaw Ron Bass, Bad News Brown, and Dangerous Danny Davis. <laughs> I just, I just kind of named, literally... A Hall of Fame class right there. Basically. Amazing. The Blazer was eliminated by Valentine, but his team went on to win the match. He continued to wrestle in mid-card, defeating enhancement talent, but often falling short against other like named talent, such as Ted DiBiase in uh, 1989, edition of Saturday Night's Main Event, and he was also defeated by Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania Five. which, if you go back, you want to see technical wrestling at its best, that is a match to go back and watch. I actually yeah. watched that while doing my research. I went back and watched it. Man, man, how they did not get a standing ovation after that match. I mean, pinfall after pinfall, two count after two count. Just saying it to you now, I'm getting chills. I'm getting goosebumps because of how amazing the match was. And I tell you, as much as we have great wrestling going on now, like it's caught back to that, it's nowhere near the caliber of that match. I'm serious. Go back and watch, you know, Owen Hart versus, versus Mr. Perfect WrestleMania 5. You want to see technical wrestling at its finest? That's a five-star match. I will. That's a match I haven't seen in a very long time. And Go I back exactly and watch that. I know what you're talking about because that was really, really unbelievably technical. And that was a the kind of wrestling that uh, you you really weren't seeing at that, at that time. That was really just, there wasn't so much about wrestling as at that point. It was just about looking good and, and putting on the, the, the five-move special and telling stories throughout that rather than actually seeing what two unbelievable humans can actually do it with an amazing amount of moveset and put those two together. Right. And, and that's, that's storytelling in the ring at its finest. And those are two fantastic dance partners who, uh, are both now wrestling in heaven for sure. Yeah. Uh, return to the independent circuit. So shortly after WrestleMania five, he left WWE. He wanted to tour the world, uh, both with and without the blue blazer gimmick. So he wanted to kind of find himself. And this is ultimately where he ends up retiring the Blue Blazer match. Um, so he returned to Stampede uh, as well until it shut down in December '89. In 1991, he lost the Blue Bla lost the Blue Blazer mask in a Mascara contra Mascara match. That's what they called it uh, with Mexican wrestler Al Kanek. and that was when the Blue Blazer gimmick was retired. That was in '91. Uh, uh, so uh, in WCW, I did not know this. He did have a brief stint. He debuted in. World Championship Wrestling self-titled TV show, March 16, 1991. He was the first of five team TV matches he competed in, all of which were against preliminary talent, such as Mark Kyle, 
And one other bout saw him team with Ricky Morton. And that's it. He had five televised events with WCW, and he was out. It wasn't even, like, literally it was six months, I want to say. It wasn't even much more than that. Fair enough. He finally came back to WWE, came back home in 1991. Uh, he'd been engaged in contract discussions with w- WCW to continue his contract, but unfortunately a deal was never struck. Uh, he was not willing to move himself or his family to WCW's headquarter in Atlanta. Instead, he signed with WWF for the second time. And, uh, the, and the WWF, uh, he was very, in the, himself and his family's, uh, sorry, he signed with WWF for the second time, and he was in, in the popular Heart Foundation. That's where they kind of brought him back. Compromised of his brother, Brett, and real-life brother-in-law, Jim Neinhardt. They had split up. Brett set out to do a singles career, and Neinhardt was used very here and there. When Neinhardt returned from a storyline injury, he joined Owen and set the new foundation. That's what they called it. Yeah. So that, that's when the new foundation came to be. Uh, that was they when had, the new everything was Yeah, everything was, was like a second coming. Yeah. It's a new generation. It's the, Oh, yeah, and that was when they actually were calling it the new generation. Yes. And then yes. that was when everything completely changed to new for everything. Yeah, so they had split up. Neinhardt had his injury. Brett went off to start his amazing singles career. And Owen came in as kind of Brett's replacement. Yeah. Right off the hop, even though they didn't want to carve him out living in Brett's shadow, they throw him in a tag team with Neinhardt. So yeah. how do you how do you step out of a shadow when literally you got to walk the same path? Exactly. Uh, they only had one pay per view match, and that was at Royal Rumble in January '92, where they beat the Orient Express. Remember those guys? <laughs> and then the new Midnight Express that came along. That <laughs> was just like, really, man, you guys are newing everything. Yeah. Nightheart <laughs> he left the WWE shortly afterward, and uh, at that time Owen set out for his first singles run, included matches at WrestleMania Nine against Skinner, and shortly after WrestleMania, Hart was teamed up with Coco Beware to form the duo known as High Energy. They only as well had one pay-per-view match at Survivor Series where they lost to the Head Shrinkers. The team was quietly dropped uh, at the end of 92, and at the start of 93, Hart set out for his real singles run. Yeah. And this is where the storylines really kick in. So this, Give I Give us titled, the King of Hearts, please. It was like literally everybody was just begging for it. Like, please do something awesome, and then you were going to the King of Hearts. We did, and this was what I call brother versus brother. This was the two-year feud. With yeah. Brett and, and Owen. And this was at a different time in wrestling because you didn't have a weekly episodic show. So really, a two-year feud was probably television time, maybe a time span of six months. But it yeah. took two years from inception to end. Yeah. And just listen to how epic this feud was. Yep. Uh, in the middle of 93, Bret Hart's feud with Jerry Lawler had ignited and exploded. And Owen stood by his brother. He fought against Lawler for the uh, in the United States Wrestling Association where most of WWE talents was considered to be the heels. Uh, Owen won the Unified World Heavyweight Championship from Papa Shango, and Owen's participation in WWF versus USWA feud was cut short when he suffered a knee injury in the summer of 93, and he was forced to take some time away from the ring. Um, he, he returned to WWF in the fall of 93, and at that time, Brett's feud with Lawler was temporarily sidetracked. Brett, along with Owen and their brothers Bruce and Keith, were scheduled to face Lawler and his team at Survivor Series. However, Lawler wasn't able to make the show, so it could not appear on WWF television. Lawler was replaced on, by Shawn Michaels. During the match, Owen and Brent inadvertently, I use that in quotations, crashed into each other, causing Owen to be eliminated from the team. Owen showed up after the match and had a heated confrontation with Brett. And man, KFAB sold so beautifully here. You didn't know that it was a storyline. You really thought, like, as a kid, I was like, oh my god. He's going, he's going after his brother. What is he doing? You don't go after the hitman. Are you insane? His name is the hitman. How <laughs> stupid can you be? You know what I mean? And uh, 
while Keith and Bruce and Stu tried to calm things down, the confrontation resulted in Owen leaving the ring with Bruce while his brothers and father watched in dismay and his mother Helen crying at ringside. Yeah. And I even went back and I watched that again. She had real tears. Real tears in her eyes. Sold so, so well for the 90s, man. Sold so well. And I believe that. That actually... I, I, I'm telling you. And I believe that she actually really didn't enjoy any of this after listening no. after listening to Helen talk, particularly about just even though even the girls in the family marrying wrestlers of just how much she just actually really genuinely despised how much wrestling was involved with with the Hart family, but particularly just at that point where wrestling was really going and how it was changing of the guard to Attitude Era. We're only a few years shy of Attitude Era at that point. Yes, at this so, point, it's the fall of 93. Yeah, so we're ultimately, they're changing guard and they're, they're getting really but mean. You see what I'm saying Particularly here. with these storylines yeah. and everything that already had previously set up with Jerry Lawler and how much they were really like enforcing Jerry to just make fun of them in any way you can and say the most humiliating shit you can possibly say to these people. And see, that's when, that's when I always laugh when I'm talking to someone who's, like, they say they're a wrestling fan and they say, well, I loved when, when Eric Bischoff brought that real-life aspect of wrestling. Like, no, dude. Bischoff took a page from Vinnie Mac. Vinnie Mac was doing it four years earlier. Nobody appreciated it. Only, yeah, that's nobody really took a, took a second to really appreciate these kinds of little subtleties that would happen, especially in a storyline like this. And the fact that, like, straight up, I really don't believe that uh, that Helen actually really had any queens or qualms with being actually that really up, genuinely upset, upset that it upset. looks like yep. you guys are splitting our whole family apart and the whole world's buying it, and now i got to sit right in the middle of it. Yep. The following night, Owen adopted the pink and black tights, sunglasses, and sharpshooter finisher to send a message to his brother. Owen was angry with being at Brett's shadow. He challenged his brother, which Brett declined, and insisted that brothers seem to reunite by the holidays. Brett tried to make amends. Teaming with Owen on a regular basis. Brett even secured uh, the two a shot at the Tag Team Championship. They faced the Quebecers for the title at Royal Rumble in January 94. Initially, everything was fine between the guys, but Brett hurt his knee, KFAB, and was unable to tag Owen for a long period of time. The younger heart got frustrated. When the referee stopped the match due to Brett's damaged knee, Owen snapped. He kicked his brother in the knee and walked off, beating Brett to the, berating Brett on a Titantron shortly after as Brett was being held backstage. This started his run as a heel. And what a run it was. After the act, an infuriated Owen accused his brother of being selfish and holding him down. Owen admitted that it felt good to take out his brother. The two brothers faced off for the first time at my all-time favorite WrestleMania. WrestleMania 10, baby. Where Owen cleanly pinned his older brother. Which, if we went back into our favorite WrestleManias, I said Brett won. I was just hyped up. (laughs) And I let it slip. And I still apologize to this day. No! Owen Hart cleanly pinned his brother that night. Later that evening, though, Brett went on to win the heavyweight championship while Owen stood by and watched jealousy as Brett celebrated. So Owen gets his, Owen gets his, his finally like, yes, I did it. I beat you. I'm better than you. And then Brett goes on to win the championship the same night. Oh man. And then there was that shot. There was just that, that camera, that camera shot that solidified everything about what we were going to see later on. That we just got the taste of it in the first match of that WrestleMania but what we were going to get to see much later on in that just, it was so perfect in how movie magic Vinnie Mac is. Send him out there. Let everybody go out because Brett was still literally sitting there going. Um, and it was sitting later after they had he'd done transcription for um, what was what was actually happening at the end of that match. How they sent everybody out after he won the belt. And everybody's celebrating with him. He's getting thrown up on people's shoulders going, oh, my God, what's going on here? Because he literally didn't know what was happening 
Vince is setting the tone, sending everybody else out there to literally congratulate him. Hasn't been done for a champion in forever. So it really shows off to Owen when he's standing there and it's that camera angle of while the celebration is happening and then you see Owen standing there in the aisle just so bitter and mad and furious at this guy that it's, I beat your ass earlier today. Earlier tonight, a few hours ago, I just beat you, and now everybody's cheering for you because you're, you, what, you think you're some champion? I'm the champion! And just this this furiousness about him that was just, the whole movie magic of the way that ending worked was well, I, so I, I love it, right? Because it's one reach success, another reach success. Owen ended up winning the King of the Ring that year, and he beat Razor Ramon in the finales with an elbow drop to the back, obviously with an assist from Jim Nine, who had returned briefly at that time. Yeah. And after that victory, Owen took the nickname, the King of Hearts. The King of Hearts. Owen and Brett feuded throughout the summer, 1994, clashing many times in both singles and later in tag team matches, with Brett being joined by the returning British Bulldog. Uh, two of the best matches in the first few was their steel cage match, co-main event at SummerSlam. For Brett's uh, championship, Brett won. This match later received a five-star rating from Mr. Messler. The second was a lumberjack match on August 17th that Owen initially won and was announced as a World Heavyweight Champion. Brett won the match after, and it was ordered to continue due to, due to interference. Because the first match was an interference, they restarted, and Brett won the second one. At Survivor Series, Owen struck the most damaging blow against his brother, as he conned his own mother, Helen, into throwing the towel for Brett, thus costing him to lose the championship to Bob Backlund. Yes, the I Quit match for Bob Backlund, and he's holding on that cross-faced chicken wings, been holding on there. I think... That was ridiculous. They literally had that going. I think it was for about four minutes. Yeah. They had him in the cross face for literally... And four minutes, ladies and gentlemen, when you're watching someone in a chokehold for that long and it's just literally you wondering when things are going to change or do something. Well, especially chicken wing. It, it looked like... It really was one of those moves that looked like it hurt. It really did. It, it did. looked like he was cranking on him and it looked really painful or the way that Brett was selling it. It was great, but it was, it was amazing how they did that. And then they had Owen just... Eventually, he's... He's trying to make it look like he's so concerned for his brother, and he's telling he's telling Helen, "Please throw the towel in, please." And literally, like actually going out of his way, he's crying and sobbing like a little girl because he's so upset for his brother. And then he throws in the towel, and then he runs away laughing, and he's, ah, "I made her do it." And it was just, oh man, it was so brilliant. I loved every minute of it. And then he also uh, prevented Brett from gaining the title at Royal Rumble '95, where he interviewed in the match between Brett and at the time new champion Diesel. Uh, the weeks after Rumble, Brett and Owen clashed again, with Brett soundly defeating his brother, thus putting an end to the feud for the time being. Uh, we fast forward now to... Sorry. Uh, Owen rebounded from the loss to Brett by winning the Tag Team Championships from the Smoking Guns at WrestleMania 11. Owen was joined by a mystery partner, had challenged the Guns to a title match. The partner turned out to be former world champion Yokozuna. After the victory, Owen took Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji as his managers. Uh, the team defeated or defended sorry, the title for five months until they lost on the Shawn Michaels of Diesel at In Your House 3. Two dudes with attitude. <laughs> yeah. Teaming with uh, the British Bulldog now from 96 to 97. And this was a storyline I almost forgot about. But when I went back and did my research, man, the storyline was enjoyable as well. Check this one out. 95, Owen's brother-in-law, Davey Boy Smith, turned heel. Joined the Camp Cornette stable. During the summer of 96, the two brothers-in-law started to team up more and more, sometimes alongside Vader, who was also a member of Camp Cornette. Owen was also a color commentator for the 1996 King of the Ring. Um, and during the time, he wore a cast on his right forearm for several months. Uh, 
uh, fringing on a nagging injury to subsequently use his cast as a weapon during matches. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've never heard Owen Hart on commentary before, you need to just YouTube Owen Hart on commentary. It's hilarious. And it's amazing. It's, it's, it's one it's of great. the best things you'll ever watch and listen to in your life. Yeah, I, I always thought Jesse the, Body was, Jesse the Body and Jerry Lawler were something special, but man, they couldn't hold a candle to Owen Hart. Uh, in September 96, Bulldog and Hart earned a pay-per-view shot at the Tag Team Titles in Your House 10. Uh, Owen and Bulldog left with the gold after again defeating the Smoking Guns. They also left with new manager Clarence Mason. He uh, Earlier in the pay-per-view, he conned Jim Cornette into signing over the contracts for the new, tam- new champions. Signs of dissension, however, slowly started to show. One occasion was when it was very evident at the Royal Rumble when Hart accidentally eliminated Bulldog. After the Rumble, they had a miscommunication in the match against Doug Furness and Phil LaFon, and Bulldog fired Mason after losing the match to Crush, who was also managed by Mason, something which did not sit well with Hart. Another bone of contention between the two was the newly created European Championship. Both men fought hard to the finals to crown the first champion, and Bulldog came out the victor. After retaining the tag team titles against the Headbangers by disqualification in the March 24, 1997 edition of Monday Night Raw, the tensions finally boiled over, and Hart demanded a shot at, at Bulldog's European title the next week. The match was booked on March 31st on the night, and the two went at it such intensity that many thought the tag team champions had finally gone their separate ways. Then, in a shocking moment, the recently turned heel Bret Hart appeared at ringside, stopped the match. Bret appealed to both Owen and Bulldog, talking them into the importance of family. They agreed to put their differences aside and join Bret in to form the new foundation, the new, an anti-American, yeah, an anti-American stable that also included Hart's brother-in-law Jim Neinhart and Hart family friend Brian Pillman. And to me personally, I really believe this is actually like the, the greatest formation. Of the Hart family. Yeah, okay, Brett. Look at the state. Bret Hart, Neidhart. It was great. It was amazing. It was a great tag team. It was incredible for what they did. But Jesus Christ, this was absolutely amazing. Of getting them all together. And then all of a sudden... And then you add like, Brian Pillman And to then the it's mix. like Brian Pillman's here. And it was amazing how Brett would literally introduce them. It would be like, Oh, my, 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 the British Bulldog. He's the strongest guy you'll ever meet in your whole life. And my lovable brother Owen. And... Brian Pillman. <laughs> he's, he's just literally like, what else do you say about him other than use the loose cannon? And that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so what else do we got here? We got the Hart Foundation reunion now. This is 1997. After forming the Hart yeah. Foundation, Owen quickly gained singles gold as he pinned Rocky Maivia to win his first Intercontinental Championship. Sorry, that's my fault. Earlier I said he won it in 95. He actually won his first Intercontinental title in 97. This meant that the Hart Foundation held every WWF title except the world title, cementing their dominance over the Federation. It was not all success for Owen, uh, as he and the British Bulldog lost their tag team titles to Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels May 26, 1997. He began feuding with Austin shortly thereafter. Owen and Bulldog got a second chance at reigning the tag team titles at after Michaels vacated his half of the championship due to an injury. On the edition of July, uh, of July 14th, 1997 Raw, to enter the tournament and won uh, to face Austin and a partner of his choice uh, that evening for the vacated titles. The partner turned out to be Dude Love, who declared himself to be Austin's partner and helped him defeat Hart and Bulldog for the Tag Team Championships. In SummerSlam in August, Hart was to defend his Intercontinental Championship against Austin in a Kiss My Ass match, where Hart put up his title against Austin and have his buttocks kissed if he lost. During the match, Hart botched a pile driver and dropped Austin on top of his head, injuring his neck. Austin won the title from Hart that evening, but due to injury, he was forced to vacate the title. Although the entire situation was an accident, WWF, again, decided to make it part of the storyline, and Owen began wearing a t-shirt 
patent with Austin's that read Owen 316 slash I just broke your neck. Yeah. Hart was then entered into a tournament to crown a new champion. Hart fought his way to the finals of the tournament, and he was set to face Farouk at Bad Blood in your house. Owen beat Farouk with Austin's help. Afterward, Austin explained that he wanted to beat Hart for the title, and he would not allow Farouk or anyone else to beat him. After Hart retained the title twice by disqualification between Bad Blood and Survivor Series in Montreal, Austin got his wish and defeated Hart for the Intercontinental Championship again. Later that night, the infamous Montreal Screwjob took place. Brett left the Federation after the event, and both British Bulldog and Jim Neinhart were granted quick releases from the company to jump to WCW with Brett. That left Owen, the only Hart family member, remaining in the WWF. Now we fast forward to the later half of 97, going into 98. Hart was not seen or mentioned on WWE programming until he made a surprise appearance after Shawn Michaels retained his title following a disqualification loss to Ken Shamrock at In Your House Degeneration X. When he, att- when, when he attacked Shawn Michaels, now a fan favorite, but with new, edgy, anti-social attitude, Hart became known as the Lone Hart. One of my favorite personas that he put on. Yeah, and that was when he came through the crowd. That was when he never, uh, he, he didn't even come through the entrance. He came he through the crowd, yeah. He only came through the crowd. And he also was at that time known as the Black Heart. Uh, Owen had a few with DX, challenged Sean for the World Heavyweight Championship. December 29, 1997, episode of Raw's War. Hart had Michaels locked in a sharpshooter. Triple H interfered in order to save Michaels' title, giving Hart the victory by disqualification. He later won the European Championships through Triple H, although not directly. Goldust dressed up as t- Triple H in an attempt to swerve Hart, but Commissioner Slaughter considered him to be a legitimate replacement. Hart later suffered a KFAB ankle injury during the match against Barry Windham involving Triple H. When Hart joined the commentary ringside, Triple H managed to draw Owen into an impromptu title match and regain the title. China interfered while the referee wasn't looking, and while Triple H was distracting the referee, she struck Hart behind the left knee with a baseball bat. Picked him up and threw him back into the ring while Triple H put Hart in a reverse ankle lock on his injured right ankle to win the European Championship under referee's discretion in controversial fashion. Four weeks later, or sorry, four weeks after WrestleMania, during a tag team match with Ken Shamrock against Mark Henry and Rocky Maivia, a.k.a. The Rock, uh, Hart turned on Shamrock, snapping his ankle and biting his ear in the process. After the attack on Shamrock, Hart became the co-leader with The Rock, the nation of domination, mm-hmm. claiming that enough was enough and it's time for a change. The nation's big feud, uh, the nation's first big feud after Hart joined was against DX, and it was during this feud that Degeneration X parodied the nation. And I'm going to play this for you guys now because this is probably one of my all-time favorite clips, and we're going to let this thing just play because it's so damn funny that you cannot. Now, this clip to set it up. We have Triple H as the Rock, or AKA the Croc. The Croc. We have X-Pac as Mark Henry. Or Mizark. Mizark, sorry. Mizark we, Henry. We have uh, Road Dog as, what was it, D-Lo as, or D-Blo? As B-Lo Brown. B-Lo Brown. We have uh, a Jason the Sensation. And, J- and as, Jason as, Sensation, ladies and gentlemen who don't know about him and didn't follow anything of Attitude Era around this time, um, Jason Sensation was uh, a guy that WWF caught wind of, and I believe it was other wrestlers that just... Happened Vince McMahon, just people who thought it was just really entertaining. He was a guy that just did incredible impressions of the voices all were of so the other good. wrestlers. So good. But particularly, um, they got him dressed up as uh, they got him dressed up as Owen because every single time he would come out at this point, he would have caution tape on his on his uh, singlet. So it basically looked like a road sign at that point. And so he would literally come in Jason's station, he would copy him 
he would literally just put caution tape around himself and just say, I look like a damn road sign. Jesus, man, enough is enough. And it's time for a change. And he would just like come out and just do Owen, and it was amazing. So this was a, a old clip. It was the best clip we could find audio-wise. There is a little hissing, but here we go. Enjoy this one, guys. A cry. <laughs> Back. <laughs> <laughs> what he wants to know is how. 
Shut your mouth and know your role. Nation, it's real simple. We got two words for you. Suck it! And that, that was legendary Raw Attitude Era TV at its absolute finest. Um, that was the parody. Uh, the imitation was complete with the every actor dre- uh, with the Jason Tatum dressing up his heart and uttering the phrase "I'm not a nugget," which is a response to Shawn Michaels referring to Owen as a nugget of feces in a toilet bowl. Uh, no matter how many times Michael flushed, he was un- unable to get rid of it. Nugget became a de- uh, de- sorry, uh, I don't know what I wrote here. Nugget, Nugget became a term that followed Hart for the rest of his career. Hart's participation in the DX feud was sidetracked when Samrock returned from injuries, dead set on getting revenge on Hart. The two split a pair of specialty matches on a pay-per-view, but nothing ever conclusively settled between them. Uh, now we get into the later stages in the ultimate passing. Uh, teaming with Jeff Jarrett, and he also returns as a Blue Blazer, 98-99. Hart remained with the nation throughout the year until the stable slowly dissolved after SummerSlam. He teamed up with Jeff Jarrett, Hart and Jarrett and Jarrett's manager Deborah in their corner. During this time, a storyline was proposed that Hart was supposed to have an on-screen affair with Deborah, something he turned down. He flat out refused to do it. He wouldn't do it because he didn't want to do that. That was something, there was a line for Owen, and that was a line he was never willing to cross. Wife and kids and family, very, very big on family, and there was no way he was, he was going to betray his family like that. Absolutely. Even though it's acting or not, still, it's just not right. After the match in which Hart accidentally injured Dan Severn, Hart seemingly quit the WWF playing off a legitimate injury Hart had inflicted on Austin the year before. The angle blurred the lines between reality and storyline. As soon as Hart quit, the Blue Blazer appeared, a WDF claiming to be in, in no way Owen Hart, despite it being very obvious who was under the mask. Unlike the first run of the character, the Blazer was now an overbearing, self-righteous heel who treated the edgy attitude era in WWF at the time with disdain. Hart and Jared ended up making the storyline very comical. There's quite a few moments I want to touch on, apparently, is when Owen stood beside the Blue Blazer. But he's like, I'm not the Blue Blazer. How can I be? But it was clearly Jarrett wearing the Blue Blazer mask. Exactly. They did stuff like that. It was fantastic. Like, they really did. Uh, Hart and Jarrett continued to team together until Hart's death in May during the Over the Edge pay-per-view event. We're going to get into that in a bit, but I just want to touch on a couple things of his personal life. Uh, He met Martha Joan Patterson in 1982. They married on July 1st, 89. They had two children. O.J. Edward Hart, who was born in 1992, and Athena Christine, uh, sorry, Athena Christie Hart, was born September 23, 1995. In May 28, 2011, Owen was inducted to the Legends Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame by Jack Blaze in the Wheeling, West Virginia, in their LPW Heart and Soul Tour. Uh, the award was accepted by his brother-in-law, Jim Neinhardt, who was also inducted that night. Despite Owen spending the majority of his WWF career portraying a cocky, cocky obnoxious heel, he was very well liked by his fellow wrestlers backstage and was known to be very easy to work with, which something I stated at the beginning, he was uh, loved, never hated. And that's very few far between in this business. Uh, now we get into the unfortunate tragic events that followed on May 23rd, 1999. Uh, this one is going to be hard for me to get through because this is, um, this was a moment in wrestling that changed the business for me. Uh, I, I still get very emotional about this night, so uh, try to get through as best I can. Uh, Hart fell to his death in Kansas City, Missouri during the Over the Edge pay-per-view event. Hart was in the process of being lowered via harness and grappling line into the ring of the rafters 
of Kemper Arena uh, for a booked Intercontinental Championship match against the Godfather. In keeping with the Blazers' new buffoonish superhero character, he was to begin a dramatic entrance being lowered just above the ring level, at which time he would act entangled, then released himself from the safety harness to fall flat on his face for comedic effort. This necessitated the use of the quick-release mechanism. In the elaboration on the Blue Blazer stunt done previously on Saturday Night Heat before Survivor Series in 1998, while being lowered to the ring, Hart fell 78 feet, landing chest-first on the top rope approximately a foot from the nearest turnbuckle, throwing him into the ring. Hart had, a, had performed the stunt only a few times before, and Hart's widow Martha suggested that by moving around to get comfortable with both the harness and the cape on, he unintentionally triggered the early release. Television viewers did not uh, see the incident. During the fall, a pre-taped vignette was being shown on the pay-per-view broadcast, as well as on the monitors in the darkened arena. Afterward, while Hart was being worked on by medical personnel inside the ring, the live events broadcast showed only the audience. Meanwhile, WWF television announcer Jim Ross repeatedly told watching live on the pay-per-view that what had just transpired, it was not a wrestling angle or storyline, and that Hart was hurt badly. Emphasizing the seriousness of the situation, Hart was transported to the Trauma Medical Center in Kansas City. While several attempts to revive him were made, he made it back to his feet, but would tragically die from his injuries. The cause of death was later revealed as internal bleeding from blunt force trauma. Uh, now I'm actually going to play uh, the clip later on that night where Jim Ross had the unfortunate responsibility of revealing the news to everyone watching it home. Here at, uh, in Kansas City, uh, tragedy befell the World Wrestling Federation and all of us. Owen Hart was uh, set to make an entrance from the ceiling, and uh, he fell from the ceiling. And I have the unfortunate responsibility to let everyone know that Owen Hart has died. Owen Hart has tragically died from that accident here tonight. All right. Um, I'm going to play another clip now, too. This is... Um, Referee, uh, help me out here, Steve. Jim Kuderis, uh, he was one of the referees that were actually helping Owen that night. He he was the referee that was actually involved in the match that was supposed to be taking place, uh, and this is where Owen Hart had apparently fallen, literally directly beside him. All right, so we're going to play about two and a half, three minutes of this clip, and uh, then we'll move on to the controversy that followed Owen Hart's death. Hey, let's go to uh, uh, Over the Edge in 1999. In Kansas City, Camper Arena, uh, you were in the match. Uh, re- you were going to referee the match when Owen Hart fell and to his death in the ring. Is that correct? Yes. And who was Owen working there? Uh, he's working Godfather. Yeah, that's right. He's going to work the Godfather. And so y'all had the match, or the, the match was going to go to the ring. Uh, you're standing there, dude. What happened? Um, right before the. That match, there was a hardcore match. There was a bunch of, uh, you know, like broken pieces of table and that sort of stuff. So we were clearing out the ring. And um, um, I, I had my hand. I was holding the rope and I was like working my way down the side of the ring, kicking stuff out and, and just trying to help clean it up while the uh, the promo was going on on the, uh, the big Tron of uh, the Blue Blazer, which was Owen. And as, as I was kicking stuff up, I was actually moving towards that corner and I heard something I didn't hear like obviously you know people pop and so I thought I assumed it was the crowd and then 
like it's hard to explain. It's like in a matter of, of less than a second, the top rope that I was holding had pulled out of my hand and snapped back. And at, at that instant, I also felt something brush against the side of my head. First thing that popped in my mind is somebody threw something. So I, I started like kind of like ducking my head and looking around to see what, what was going on. And I turned around and, and, and in that corner there, man, it, it, Owen was there and, I'm, and I didn't put two and two together. You know, I was just like in shock and I kind of, you know, moved over closer and, and I, I called out to him a few times and, and got no response. And then I just, just panicked and started like screaming to the timekeeper, get people out here. That something's not right, you know? And, and yeah, it was, wow. So you never, so you never saw, you didn't see him fall. You just felt him brush right by you and actually made contact with you. Yes. And, and, and I didn't know that until the next day when I was talking to uh, Jerry Lawler and King told me that he had saw the last maybe 15, 20 feet of the fall. And, and he, he said uh, that it was really close to landing right on top. You know, and uh, I was back here. I was going to work with Undertaker in a main event that night. And, uh, well, we got the word that Owen had just fall, fallen. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, not too, not too long after that, the announcement was made that he had died and uh, you know, I've never seen the footage uh, before. So I've never seen the accident. Just, I just remember it happened. I was back there talking with Undertaker, kind of just uh, shooting a breeze, waiting for our time to go on. And then the accident happened. And then, you know, they, they said for the, you know, we're going to, the show will continue and we continued to wrestle. And, you know, it was a, a very eerie feeling going to the ring, knowing that, you know, one of, one of the guys that you're pretty damn close with, has just passed away because of this uh, terrible accident. Did, did you know the situation was dire straits as soon as it happened? I mean, uh, did you stay in the ring while the paramedics were working on Owen? Yeah, I stayed, I stayed the whole time until until they uh, eventually got him on the stretcher and started wheeling him back. And I followed, the, you know, I kind, of, I kind of followed the group back. And uh, and uh, when I got to the back, they, you know, they started to, right away, you know, right into they started to load him up in the ambulance and. And they tried to convince me to go to, to the hospital as well. And I thought to myself, uh, I don't need to go to the hospital. I just need, like I was, um, I was just such, my, my mind was racing. I didn't know what to think. I was like a million things going through your head at, at all at once. And they said, you know, just go get checked out. I didn't know what they were referring to, but apparently, you know, um, they just wanted to make sure that I was okay. Right. I don't know, you know. So I went to the hospital, and when I was there, that's when I found out that, uh, um, you know, the nurse came in and said, are you friends with the with the gentleman they brought in? I said, yes, well, um, just wanted to let you know that he passed away, and, and then, bam, hit me like a ton of bricks, and, you know, right away, they called my wife, and, you know, you know, horrible. Man, it was a terrible day. What was what was Godfather doing when this happened? Because he, had he already made his entrance to the ring? No, he, he still hadn't come okay. up like this. Because the promo was still going on uh, on the Tron, right? All this happened, and uh, yeah. And then the next day we were in St. Louis, and 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 I even I even uh, I know John D'Amico came to pick me up at the, uh, the and stayed with me at the hospital until I, I got discharged. Yeah. And, but for the life of me, I don't remember how I got to St. Louis the next day. Right. Uh, in the mo in the months and, and weeks that followed, um. This is kind of the controversy that kind of 
went down the road of the lawsuits and so forth. So I'm just going to touch on a little bit of it briefly and then play one other clip uh, of uh, Bret Hart shooting on his uh, former sister-in-law, the whole thing with uh, Owen Hart here. So um, they uh, they chose to get, WWE chose to continue the event, and in the clip I played, Jim Ross announced the death of Hart to the home viewers during the pay-per-view, but no one in the crowd knew what had happened or transpired. The show did go on. It was never released commercially by WWE Home Video, and in 2014, 15 years after his death, the WWE Network aired the event for the first time. A small photo tribute was shown before the start, informing fans that Hart died during the original broadcast, and all footage of Hart was edited out of the event. Yep. The statement read, in memory of Owen Hart, May 17, 1965 to May 23, 1999, who, who accidentally passed away during this broadcast. Uh, we'll touch on what happened the following night. So the following night, right after that event, was May 24, 1999, Raw's War. Uh, it was declared a, uh, a Raw is Owen. It was broadcast live from uh, Keel Center in St. Louis and included short interviews of his fellow wrestlers. According to uh, an expose, all storylines and rivalries were put aside. WWE management gave all the wrestlers on the roster an option to work or not. Nevertheless, 10 matches were booked with no angles, just matches that Owen had dreamed and always wanted to see. Uh, in the weeks that followed Hart's death, much attention was focused on the harness that Hart used that night, especially in the quick-release trigger and safety latches. When someone is lowered from the rafters in a harness, they are backup latches that must be latched for safety purposes. Four weeks after the event, the Hart family sued WWF over the dangerous and poorly planned stunt, and, the, 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 and claiming that the harness system was, in fact, defective. Over the year-and-a-half case, a settlement was reached on November 2nd, 2000, which saw the WWF give the Hart family $18 million. The manufacturer of the harness system was also a defendant against the Hart family, but they were dismissed from the case after a settlement was reached. Martha used millions of the settlement to establish the Owen Hart Foundation. She also wrote a book about Hart's life called Broken Hearts, The Life and Death of Owen Hart, and that was released in 2002. Uh, Legacy of Owen Hart. Oh, sorry, a little bit more. Uh, in his DVD the, uh, set, the Brett, Brett the Hitman Hart, the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, Brett said that... He, said that he wishes he had been with WWF that night and Owen's accident happened. He would have discouraged Owen from performing the start. Triple H had stated in several interviews that the game nickname uh, he would adopt months after Owen's death was originally intended for Owen, and he adopted it in honor of Owen. Uh, uh, Hart's legacy, um, and what else can you say? Uh, he was widely regarded as one of the best in-ring performers in WWF. Fox Sports dubbed him a genius. He would go on to be considered one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time by many industry colleagues and fans. In 2001, Hart's sister Diana released her first book named Under the Mat, which dealt with their family. The book was written partially in response to Owen's death and had become very controversial. Owen's widow, Martha Hart, pursued legal action over the work and claimed that Diana made inaccurate and irresponsible statements about her and her family. She stated that the book was filled with dishonor dishonorous misstatements and unjustified slurs that attempt to destroy the reputation of her family and me and also undermine Owen Hart's memory. In June 2010, Martha filed a large, uh, another lawsuit against WWE over WWE's use of Owen's name and likeness as well as personal photos of Hart's family in the Hart and Soul WWE DVD as well as a failure to make royalty payments. This matter was scheduled to go to trial in June 2013 before a settlement was reached in April 2013 for an undisclosed amount. We don't know what the amount was, but um, the second lawsuit at that point, uh, I believe that was just her going after more money because she she was demanding one of the big claims, and that lawsuit was royalty payments. 
nothing to do with her husband's memory or anything like that. Royalty payments. Those are the two words that sticks out to me uh, uh, from Martha. And we'll play the clip of Bret Hart shortly. Nope. Straight up, after you learn about actually all the all the really, really bad planning that went along with everything and the fact that uh, Owen was not a fan of any of this and didn't want to do it and uh, was really, really insecure about the whole idea of doing it in the first place and the fact that uh, that uh, Owen... Owen really, Martha said that when he had left that day for Over the Edge, when he was flying out to Over the Edge, and the last thing he had said before he had left, it was somewhere along the lines of, um, she knew that something was going to happen, that something bad was going to happen that day. So did Owen. And it was really just one of those, one of those things where, uh, if, if that were me and that were my wife that died, because of some asshole thing that went incredibly wrong, it was totally not taken in context with planning accordingly to the person itself, I would be super pissed too, and I'd be going after them for just as much blood as she did. Right, but I, I think there's a difference of opinion, but let me just, let me get through the rest of this, and then we'll play the clip, and then we'll definitely open up the discussion. Absolutely. In December 2015, though, WWE did release a DVD called Owen Heart of Gold, uh, which covered his whole career, and was done with her consent. So that was done. And another side note, uh, Kevin Owens named his son after Owen Hart, and he also incorporated the uh, name in his own in-ring name as a tribute to both his son and Owen Hart. Uh, before we get into the discussion of everything, I just want to play this one little clip mm -hmm. uh, of Bret Hart shooting on um, Owen or, or shooting on Martha. And we're going to just hear this a full minute and 26 seconds. And then uh, I'll make my few points. And then obviously you have some points to make yourself. So here we'll just play Absolutely. this clip here. Uh, is Owen going to be in the Hall of Fame? He should be. I'm hoping this year he'll be uh, inducted. Not this year, but uh, next year, WrestleMania, that he'll be inducted. I'll be really sorely disappointed if he's not. I think it's way overdue. I'm looking forward to the DVD that WWE's got coming out of my brother Owen, although I have um, reservations about it because it seemed like it was so controlled and they were so careful and tiptoeing around, not even wanting to offend Owen's widow who I think has totally uh, made an ass of herself and has really pissed me off because she's uh, done more to erase Owen's career and his legacy and sort of erase who he was and what a great, you know, all the fans that loved Owen. And she doesn't want them to enjoy him today and, you know, we should relish in all his memories. <clears throat> when I think of Owen, we should dig up all his matches and all his interviews and all the fun things he did and have wrestlers talk about it. It's great, the great memories and stories they have with him. And they should hear, his kids should hear those stories and know who their dad was. But Martha is very anal in the sense that she can't get over what happened, which is unfortunate. But uh, for God's sake, she got to move on. Now she's uh, got a doctor's degree and uh, she's a doctor of psychology. She got to analyze her own brain and, and see that uh, you, can't, uh, you can't just erase all the good things about somebody just because he died. So that was Bret Hart uh, shooting on her just before uh, the 2015 DVD came out. Uh, shortly after that, uh, Martha did release a statement. I could not find a video clip of the statement, but I do have written words, so I'm just going to read that. Uh, this is Martha Hart's response to uh, the statement we just heard from Bret Hart. The suggestion by Bret Hart that I am erasing the memory of my late husband, Owen Hart, is reckless, irresponsible, and clearly untrue. Brett's comments are rooted in the fact that I have steadfastly refused to work with the WWE to exploit Owen's image for commercial gain. Owen was an incredible entertainer, and I know that many of his fans around the world enjoyed his wrestling career immensely. 
I encourage them to continue to do so, but I am firmly in my belief that the WWE was responsible for Owen's death. As a result, I cannot and will not support any efforts by the WWE to profit from Owen's memory. Instead, I, my son OJ, daughter Athena, have worked tirelessly to honor Owen through the good works of the Heart of the Owen Hart Foundation, which has exceeded four million in gift giving and contributions towards scholarships, home anniversaries, and other special projects that have greatly improved the lives of so many in Canada and around the world. We have always believed that this is the most fitting public tribute to the man a profound integrity, a wonderful human being who just happened to wrestle. I know that Owen would be very proud of the, tr- of the tremendous accomplishments the foundation has achieved in his name. Bret Hart's comments are disrespectful and cruel. It is disappointing that so many in the media have chosen to report them without seeking my perspective. Whatever Bret may believe, the fact is that far from erasing Owen's memory, I have devoted the last 20 years to celebrating his life in a very public way. I can think of a very few people who have been remembered so glowingly by their spouse. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can look at this. And I'm going to look at this two ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, two statements I want to make. One... And then you're seeing it from my point of view too, then. Yeah, I think I think you and I will probably be a lot... I'm going to see it from her point of view. Actually, I'm going to see it from three perspectives. Her point of view, his immediate family's point of view, as his brothers and sisters... And then the fans point of view. And then the fans point of view. So I'm going to get the fans point of view first. The fans point of view is I'm hurt. I'm angry. I want this top five all time wrestler to be honored and immortalized in the hall of fame where he rightfully belongs over so many that have gotten there first, not to take anything away, but edge. Uh, uh, Beth Phoenix. Uh, uh, Jacqueline, Ivory, Mark Henry, the list goes on and on. Kurt Angle, Diesel, Razor Ramon, the list goes on and on. That these people should not have been inducted before him. And that's my perspective as a fan of this business and the passion I have for wrestling. That she has not allowed us, the fans, to celebrate him the way only way we know how to. Not only is WrestleMania the biggest weekend for a wrestling fan, but Hall of Fame It's like your New Year's Eve or your Christmas Eve before WrestleMania being our Christmas, a wrestling fan's Christmas. And how dare you not let the fans celebrate the only gifted technical wrestler other than Bret Hart in that family to not be honored. And that's just sad. That's sad and disrespectful from the fans' point of view. Now, from his family's point of view, as in his brothers and sisters and his mother and father, may they also rest in peace. I see why Brett's bitter. Because Brett, as much as he's his brother, he's also been in this business his entire life. And I guarantee you, if Stu and Helen were still alive, they'd be fighting against her to get him in the Hall of Fame. Because Brett, much like the fans, want to see his brother legacy remembered the only way a wrestler can be remembered. Immortalized in the Hall of Fame. When you're in the Hall of Fame, you are remembered forever. So I get his frustration, though I think his comments were a little bit out of context. And I do think his comments were ill-timed towards just solely on her. Because you also have to remember now their kids are older. Both kids are in their 20s and 30s. So OJ and Athena have just as much say in this decision as Martha does. And I, I see Brett and his brothers and his sisters and everyone in the Hart family, I see their point of view as it's very similar to the fans' point of view. 
And I see the frustration of why he said what he said. And I think he was that they hit him with that question at a time, a very, very angry time for him because he just wants his brother to be beside him in the Hall of Fame because he can't be beside him in, in heaven. So he wants, and I get that. I see that as a brother. I see that if my brother and I, or my sister and I worked in the same business and one of us passed away, I would want to be, I would want my brother to be immortalized with me in that Hall of Fame so I can walk down those halls. I could see his picture next to mine and I can know that both of us worked our asses off and we made it. We made it together because we're here in the goddamn WWF Hall of Fame. Now I see it from her perspective. You just lost the love of your life. And I myself, if I ever lost my wife, I would have no heir. I wouldn't be able to continue on. But she did. She won the original lawsuit. She also settled on the second lawsuit with WWE. And I get it. You're right. You said it earlier. The stunt was not planned properly. Safety checks probably weren't done as often as they should have been. He should have never worn a cape because people are always like, well, Shawn Michaels did it. Shawn Michaels didn't have a cape. The cape got entangled in his boot. That caused him to be moving around the wrong way. Thus, he pushed the quick trigger release. Also, he shouldn't have, he should have just rode to the ring like Shawn Michaels and been dropped safely. There should have been no quick trigger on that day. I understand the need for the buffoonish superhero type, but you didn't, you didn't do your safety checks. Whoever was supposed to do the 19,000 check on that harness didn't do it. So she's angry. She's pissed. She, in a blink of an eye, she became a single mother. She had to look out for OJ. She had to look out for Athena. And I get it. Like I said earlier, if I lost my wife, I would have no heir. I would, I would not know how to continue on in this world without her, especially being high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. That's, that's much like my wife and I. We met literally 18 years old, just graduating from high school. We met. So all I've known for the last 15 years is my wife. Right. And it's, I could not fathom losing your spouse in especially the fashion that they did. But I think um, at this point too, as much as the foundation has done some amazing work and as much as his memory has been honored in here in Canada and all around the world for the great work they've done for how much of a genuine, incredible human being he was and every life he was in, he touched it. And when he left, the world lost a very bright light that day, lost a very bright light. But I think at this point in time, you have to put the anger away and you have to heal. And I think the only way to fully heal now is to do what's right by your husband because he was an amazing human being. But one thing in her statement that really, really kind of put me aback, she's like, not just a wrestler. We don't want to celebrate him for his wrestling. We want to celebrate him for everything he was to us. How many little kids he inspired to get into the business. How many, how many fans he inspired to, to fight like he fought. How many brothers went through the same feud that him and Brett did. The little brother wanting to step out of the big brother's shadow. I get all that. I'm the baby in my family. But I think now we're talking almost 20 years. 20 years. Next May 23rd will be 20 years since he passed. When does she heal? When do OJ and Athena get to fully heal? I get it. You're doing the foundation. You're doing amazing work. But when do you heal? Yes, you've gotten over it. Yes, you've tried to move on best you can. But when do you heal? You heal when you let the pain go. Yes, you're pissed at Vince McMahon. 100% you should be. You're pissed at the WWE and their poor safety checks. 100% you should be. But they have tried to honor and keep him within the business. We're not, I'm not saying she's erasing his legacy. But I'm saying 
for her to fully heal, he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's unfortunate that she's still stopping it. I get it. You're angry. But it's 20 years, two decades of anger. How much more can you have left in you? Because the fact is, is he needs to be reconciled, recognized for his achievements in and out of the ring. But us fans, we still have a hole in our heart because we can't celebrate him the only way we know how. And that, that to me, is tragic. So I see Brett's point of view, even though I think his comments were way out of context. I think he flew way off the handle. I see it. Frustration got the best of him. But I think it's time for Martha and OJ and Athena to try to heal. And the only way to heal is to let him in the Hall of Fame. Because now you're not hurting. I understand it's hard for you. So let, let Brett, let Jim, let one of the brothers accept the award on your behalf. You don't have to go. But let us, the fans, celebrate how special Owen Hart was to us. That's 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 all I got to say. What do you think about that? No, actually, I, I totally agree. And that's why you know, normally uh, th- this was kind of a learning curve for me because normally... Uh, I do. I like to. I like as much as you, as much as you and I would like to have a real back and forth. I like to have a real uh, context of dialogue. And then in this one, I felt it very important um, for myself to really just um, whatever is going to be said, let it finish, and then move forward. And then let's let's keep that as the basis of, especially in this context, because there is there's quite a bit to cover when it comes to. Um, you're exactly where I'm at. There's the fans' perspective. Uh, there's, to me, there's just the business perspective in general of, uh, the, the wrestlers, the friends, the family, especially the family, of course, and especially, uh, especially Martha. And it's, then you get into, um, the, the, then, then you, you, you very simply, uh, you, you get into the perspective of from where Owen's sitting and what ended up transpiring with Owen and how many times that that, um, unbelievable human being from what I understand um, was really truly honestly held down within the wrestling industry and I'm talking in the sense when his brother left and uh, the Montreal screw job happened and was not allotted out of his contract when he really wanted to he was shoved into and this is only just one example of many but it was an example of a lot of times metaphorically in the sense of the way things, transpired within his wrestling career um there were not a whole lot of options for him to make anything of himself unless he was literally living within the shadow of brett and unfortunately um it's actually a role reverse we're actually at the beginning of brett's career when vince hired brett vince called brett and you can look this up this is factually accurate um Brett was called upon to join WWE and as his, as his first run when he was going to go to the Hart Foundation before he went to the Hart Foundation. He went on his own, but then eventually found Hart Foundation with Neidhart. He got that phone call about um, he, he got that phone call about himself, but he was actually like, if you want to look at anybody, you shouldn't be looking at me. You should be looking at Owen. If you want to make a star, anyone, you shouldn't be looking at me. You should be looking at Owen. And it clearly exemplified everything about Owen of what's so monumentally perfect about Owen Hart. He was an amazing spokesman. 
He was an he could he could talk his ass in and out of anything. Make you make him he's either a good guy or a bad guy. It really didn't matter, and he believed every bit of it because he just loved to talk and he loved to joke. And he apparently that's the one thing about Owen too that a lot of people said about him was that when he would walk into a room, everyone felt better by the time he left because they were just all he would make them all laugh. That's all he was capable of doing was just making people laugh all the time because it was just such a dismal business. He believed within his mind it was such a dismal business and you're such a dreary outcome for everything that you're doing and the way you wake up and how you feel the next day there's so much prone for disdain and depression and discomfort and he felt it upon himself that that's an an addiction of the way that things would come about that he was the guy that would come in and make everybody feel better about themselves and make them all laugh yeah and but brett was just the guy that was just the biggest advocate i've never heard anyone love his brother more than brett loved owen and how much he truly truly exemplified that and every time he talked about him um but when i hear about these stories about owen hart being somewhat um sounds like in a lot of these cases um purposely um really truly held down for his attributes of the way that he actually really was of making him the rocket Owen Hart and then making him uh, the new foundation and putting him with Coco Beware and the blue blazer and like all these things that left Owen constantly wondering why am I even a wrestler still until he got the break with Brett for only that certain peak of just that those two, two years. years 93 to 95 were, the, were in my opinion some of the best years in wrestling. And it was Brett's idea to put these two together to make a lot of money together, that they could finally get to work together and they would end up making a lot of money together. And his ideas, of course, that was one more Brett Hitman Hart idea that just worked. And uh, it, it was as one much of those, as he got a lot of shit wrong, he also got a lot of shit right. Got a lot of stuff right. And uh, from where Martha is, is really coming from, um, I actually totally understand. Um, as much as myself of how much from a fan's point, I would absolutely, I would love to see him in the hall of fame. I think the hall of fame would be the perfect place for Owen. It's exactly where he needs to be. However, when you chalk up a career of how much of a painstaker it really was for him to make a career out of everything that he had done. And then the dismal experience that he had after Brett left and his whole family left and he was all by himself, and they stuck him in the fucking nation of domination. The most unbelievably, at that point, was so hell-bent on racism and deterrence away from anything good that was really truly going on in wrestling, and then you have a person like Owen Hart who was filled with good. And from everything that I understand... He absolutely dreaded every single bit of being in the middle of that because of what his kids were watching every single week. His wife was watching every single week. I don't think their kids were definitely watching that. Were, of what his kids were eventually going to get to see. Sorry. Right, yes. um, of just in that point and his family and everybody, just his mother and father having to watch him in the middle of all of this. Um, when Owen Hart would, ascent, would appear from the crowd and go into the ring with this just brushy beard and this dismal look on his face like he's really, really mad. And enough is enough, and it's time for a change. Is He's actually really, he was apparently, from what I understand, really that upset with everything and the transition period and how much everything was really just not going in any direction of the way he saw his career really going. And but then, then then the turn point with Jeff Jarrett, the last two years. And were, then, yes, the turning point. I mean, that, they were a great point. tag team. 
and the fact that he was probably happy to be working with uh, another great wrestling mind is uh, just like Bret Hart. Jeff Jarrett had a great wrestling mind. A lot of stuff wrong, but a few things right. And the fact that he he still had his integrity about him. Like nope. they were like, hey, hey, you're gonna have the, you're gonna have this on screen love affair with Deborah. No, I'm not. Exactly. I'm not gonna do that. And, and that was that was the point. It was what I noticed. And if you go back and you watch any of that footage, if you look up Jeff Jarrett and Deborah and Owen Hart, every entrance was exactly the same. It was Jeff walking in the front with Deborah, holding her hand, both arms up with the guitar in the air. And then there's Owen Hart hanging out in the back, just chilling out in the back when he should be in the front. He should be but on his own, and he should have been kicking ass. A world champion. He should have been a world champion and kicking ass, but unfortunately, he got shoved into all these other things that did not involve him going on his own and becoming that superstar that he really should have been. And then you culminate with Vince Russo coming up to him and saying, Hey, bud. Nothing's worked for you so far? All right, we're going to put you in the Blue Blazer. And apparently the Blue Blazer was literally an actual um, punishment for the fact that he was going to Vince and going to people and saying how upset he was with everything that was going on. And they punished him, apparently, for putting it and put him in the Blue Blazer because he didn't want to do it. And they yeah, they didn't want to do it. In my research, there was a lot of that. But I figured, you know what, the best way to honor one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, I wasn't going to bring Vince Russo in you can you can do your own research on Vince Russo at another time and that, we've done it and I just didn't listen. want to, I didn't want to get into that part of the story because I thought listen. that part was not a great honor to Owen's legacy no and the only reason that I bring this up is very simply to shed light on the fact that the only reason I bring any of this up is not to deter away from the amazing career that Owen Hart had I just bring this up to paint the picture of how the fuck would you feel if that was your whole life And you grew up wanting to be a superstar. You wanted because you knew you earned it and you deserved it and you should be there. But instead, all of these other calamities are still getting put in your path of stuff that you have absolutely no control over. Do you think Vince was bitter? bitter? I mean, just to pose the question now, because since we're on the subject, uh, do you think Vince was bitter because of what went down with Brett that he was taking it out on Owen? And that's what I believe was the actual reason for what what I believe. This isn't a thing that I actually have any factual evidence on, ladies and gentlemen. This is all all, say. All all speculation. But this is something that I have thought about for years after watching all of the footage that I had watched about one of my favorite wrestlers of all times, of of all time, that was just getting lumped into, why the hell is this happening to this guy? I just kept wondering all the time when I would would watch everything kind of transpire and take place with him. And then to culminate with um, the unfortunate incident with the harness and everything that went down with that and um, how unfortunate of a term of term events that was that um, everything else was all safety checked and everything was all well and good apparently with any other harness situation that they would ever go in. But this was a very put together the day before kind of thing. And uh, Owen Hart having no want or need to, to do this in any way, shape or form because of the understanding of what could, could have potentially happened and did end up happening. Because of it. The only reason I bring up all of this and put all of this painted picture together is to absolutely, from my standpoint, as from my fan's standpoint, if my if I if I was the if I was the dead guy living on and seeing my wife trying to live her life, knowing everything that went on before me and happened to me, I would not want my legacy actually transpired in a world that was just having my husband's life taken advantage of 
in every single aspect, in every way that it could possibly be taken advantage of. And it was only her brother that could pull him out of it and get him to a spot that could show off his talent with the way that it should have been and put him in a main event category in a, in a spot that he deserved to be in for a very, very long time. And then once Brett went away, all of that went away. And there was only one way to look at it for, for them was to just take Owen and exploit him in any way that they possibly could. And it was obvious from the way that they were using him and the, and the final outcome of what ended up transpiring of the final moments within his life and how it ended up transpiring. Um, it's a really unfortunate set of circumstances that I've actually, for me, have now understood that I choose to actually leave it with Owen's family. I choose to leave whatever direction in which that they would choose to let him be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not in their family, and I have no say whatsoever of whether or not they should allow or disallow Owen Hart to be within that family of Hall of Famers because of the reputation that his life had transpired, which, which trans, transludes over to his wife of the knowledge of knowing what happened to him in his wrestling career. Would she want to see him in the Hall of Fame knowing exactly what was going on behind the scenes within Owen's life as a wrestler and struggling with so much struggle and so much struggle that was really happening when in actuality there were a lot of great moments and then there was what it looks like a lot more dismal than there were the actual triumphant ones. It was, it was a matter of working through the shit to get to the triumph and then going right back down to even further than what he was in before. Yeah, but to your same point, I mean, I get, I totally see your point. I get it. She's angry. I, I don't think it was as dismal as it did. I just think at the end of the day, Owen was an easygoing guy, and he was just going to do whatever he needed to do to keep food on the table for the family, no matter how stupid he thought it was or how he disagreed with it. But also the simple fact, I mean, to touch again on the 2013 DVD, her major qualm in that lawsuit was royalty rights. Mm-hmm. Could you honestly say that at that point it was still anger? Or was it, no, nah, I'm going to stick it to him. That's my husband. That's my money. I'm going to stick it to WWE. I totally see her word. Not in the sense that I would want to do what she did. But if that's the way that you would prefer to, to carry it out and the way that you would prefer to keep things going, then I'm not within the family to be able to say otherwise. Other, other than I do wish... To see Owen Hart in the Hall of Fame, which is where he actually does I think deserve that's, to be. I think that's where we all, what we all want to see. But, but to my point was was to you, Steve, was that she the the first lawsuit, hundred percent, you know, right on the money. Yes, had mm -hmm. to happen, had to happen. But the second one for royalty rights, you want to stick it to Vince. But at that point, are you still sticking it to Vince, or are you just trying to get more? And are you trying to bleed more? Because at that point, she makes herself look bad. She makes herself look bad to me as a fan and as a, as a businessman myself. She makes herself look bad. Because at that point now, we're talking 14 years later. The DVD pops up. Nope. But how come she sues on the 2013, but 2015 she didn't? What was different? What was different in the two-year span of those DVDs? I've watched both DVDs. And both DVDs are very similar. The only difference is there's no pictures of her in the second one. And there's no pictures of the kids. That's really the only difference. But there are tons of pictures of Owen with his brothers, with his mom, different family members, all that kind of fans, fellow wrestlers. There's all that kind of stuff. So the only di real difference is that they kind of excommunicated her and the kids from the second one. They do mention them, but they're excommunicated. They're not really shown too often. And there's no interviews. You want to set the record straight? That's a platform for you. Just like when the Ultimate Warrior came back, they gave him full free reign on the DVD. 
she could have said, you know what, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it on my terms. And I know, as much as Vince doesn't want his name tarnished, he also doesn't mind if his name gets dragged through the mud. That's one thing I can say about Vince McMahon. The amount of times his name's been dragged through the mud, mentioned as close to guys like Hitler. Yeah. And, and and guys like uh, the the Italian guy, um, I, I can't remember, Machiavelli, all those guys. His name has been literally associated with jackasses in the history of the world. Yeah. So she, she could have had a platform. She could have had a full thing. But what I'm saying here is you sue on 13, but you don't sue in 15. Why? And that's the thing is that's that's where the that's where the flip coin comes for me is the fact that I see all of that everything that was just explained in obviously very long expansion but it was because of the fact that there was there there were really there there were a lot of kind of bullet pointages of really a lot of kind of in, in behind the scenes action that was really going on but at the same time though it's all just perception of what I've seen over the years you see it I differently saw, and what I see differently and I then at that. the exact same time. You're absolutely right about the, about the fact that, yeah, if you really want to go out there and you want to set the record straight, and that was my wife who died in that in that type of situation, I would want to go out and tell the story, and I would really want to actually be able to say something on my, on my wife's behalf, and I would really want to go out there and actually have some words to say more than just something that I'm just putting into text, or something that I'm just saying to a newspaper, or something that's like, that to me is just the, the ultimate hypocritical situation of of all of it of there's no more bitter hypocritical that you could possibly get than having somebody go out there and say well i'm honoring my husband's memory but then you're suing for royalties it's like that's and that's where i see frustration on in in the hart family and bret hart's family exactly that's where i see from the outer family circle and the inner family that's where i see the frustration and from what i understand from what reachers i've done she has not kept in contact with the family the family's few and far between and seeing oj and athena yeah. And that's got a lot to do with her. It seems she won a lawsuit, took her money, created the foundation in honor of her husband's memory, which is great work that they're doing, but has excommunicated the kids from their uncle's and aunt's lives. And that's something definitely Owen would not want because Owen was big on family. Mm-hmm. Owen was big on that. But you and I could go back and forth on this because we do see it from a lot. We agree on a lot of perspectives, but I disagree on a few points, and I'm sure you disagree with me on a few points. And that's the great thing about straight talk. We just chalk right. it up to disagreements. But a couple more things I want to run before we wrap it up is just a couple more accolades that I didn't get a chance to mention. Uh, Legends of Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame Class inductee 2011. Prairie Wrestling Alliance Hall of Fame Class of 2010. Uh, New Japan Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, first time, one time. Uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Editors Award 99. Feud of the Year 94 with his brother. Rookie of the Year 87 I did mention. Ranked number 10 out of 500 top wrestlers in P and Pro Wrestling Illustrated in 1994. Ranked number 66 in the top 500 singles wrestlers all-time 2003. Uh, ranked number 84 out of 100 tag teams 2003 with Davey Boy Smith in the 92 run. Uh, Wrestler of the Week from July 5th to 11, 1987. Canadian Wrestling Hall of Fame individually and with the Hart family. And Stampede Wrestling, other championships he won. British Commonwealth Mid-Heavyweight Championship. International Tag Team Champion with Ben Barras, Stampede North American Heavyweight Championship two times, and Stampede Wrestling Hall of Fame. So That's I mean, a lot of a lot of accolades, a lot of classes, um, and we could go back and forth on on what Martha did or did not do, or what she's doing. Yeah, right. you know what? I just want to end this thing on a positive light because, like, a lot of stuff I said, I don't really want. I don't want to misconstrue this that it's like, wow, this guy really sounds like he doesn't really like Owen Hart at all. No, you need to understand here. I absolutely love. Owen Hart. I was actually really busted up about a lot of that stuff that it was really confu- it was just confusing as a fan 
to, to watch this and know that there's such potential. It's like watching Chris Benoit in WCW. You know that this guy oh, is Jericho going to Eddie be, Guerrero. oh my yeah. God, yeah, you yeah. know this guy is going to be like superstar and he needs to go where he's supposed to go. Um, what I, You know what? It, it's the fact that Owen Hart was just doing stuff that Lucha, Lucha Libre style that most people, um, that he was introducing the moonsault when no one was doing the moonsault. He was introducing high-flying aspects for a caliber of his size that only the smallest of the small, only Lucho Libre guys did. And he was the guy that really started introducing all of that stuff. And when he was the Rock at Owen Hart, he used to literally go up on the back, on the top rope and do a backflip into the ring. That's how he entered the ring. Because he was just so, it was just so obvious that this guy was just unbelievably, unequivocally talented from top to bottom. And there's not enough to say about how much the world will love and continue to miss Owen Hart. Absolutely. A legend lost for sure. Uh, one of my top all-time favorites. And uh, what an episode 50 to do on, to touch on one of our personal favorite wrestlers. A lot of research went into this, wanted to make sure the story, much like Chris Benoit, was told every aspect, told 100% correctly. And, Kudos uh, to you, man. You did a lot of amazing research, and you. this is an amazing, amazing story you told about Owen Hart. Thank you very much. And on that note, I am your host with the most, George McKay. You know my cohort in crime. Steve the Animal Mitchell. And that's it, guys. Episode 50 in the can. Don't worry, we're not stopping. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. Wrestling.